0: Welcome to the Peterson's Bowhunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor, Mark Dempko. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bowhunting Podcast, presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. You know, I mentioned this before, but in my previous career, I worked in the music festivals industry and I had a chance to meet a lot of amazing musicians and performers over the years. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is we have a very special guest coming up in just a few minutes. The Motor City Madman, Ted Nugent, is going to be joining us. Not only is he a world renowned rock star, he's uh, sold more than 40 million albums, uh, performed in front of sold out crowds uh, around the globe. He's also one of the biggest ambassadors and voices for bow hunting. He's been bow hunting for nearly 60 years from growing up in uh, Michigan to where he lives now in Texas. It's been a passion of his. And um, we're really excited to have him join uh, the podcast. He's going to be talking about his love for bow hunting, uh, how he got started, and uh, also a little bit about his upcoming tour, which is his last major concert tour. He's uh, stepping away from the stage while he's going to continue to record uh, and do one off gigs. This is going to be his last major tour. So uh, you want to hear about that. And also, if you get a chance, get out and see him this summer. But uh, the bow hunting podcast is presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit lancasterarchery.com. We've got the gear we've got the knowledge, and we've got the passion. Now sit back and enjoy our conversation with Ted Nugent. So hey, everybody, welcome to the bow hunting podcast. You know, we've had a number of amazing uh, bow hunters on this program over the year, but we've had very few uh, archery hunters who are rock star bow hunters, but also rock icons. So uh, I'm pretty thrilled to have Ted Nugent on today. Ted, thank you. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. In between archery and checking traps and shooting cats and putting in food
1: plots and and making my dogs uh, completely worn out, I'm more than happy to join you because everything I do, Mark, qualifies as a bow hunting podcast. I just celebrate and promote this stuff all over the world, man. I love it. I love it maybe more than anybody watching right now.
0: You know, and, and we were going to t- touch on that, but that's a great place to to start. I wanted to ask you because we've never talked before. So it's the first time I've had a chance to sit down and speak with you. But uh, let's just go way back. How did you get starting in hunting? Everybody has a story how they got started. Um, what were the early days for you like? Boy, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I was born
1: in 1948. and My dad was already a follower of Fred Bears in Michigan, you know. And my dad was a a casual bow hunter coming out of World War II in Korea. He was seeking that escape, that sanctuary that nothing provides more powerfully than the outdoors, that what I call the spirit of the wild, the spiritual recharging of our batteries, and obviously the difficult and challenge of bows and arrows that that Fred Bear had very uniquely began to re-promote as a a higher level of awareness. the the position and responsibilities of us in nature. Now, my dad couldn't have articulated it this way, but that's what I learned from birth. I literally was on my dad's back in the uh, Manistee National Forest in 1949, and I was only 10 months old. <laughs> so, wow. so, so I've literally, Mark, and then stop and think, it was Fred Bear and Chuck Berry. I mean, is there a better time to be born than if you can make music and, and and pursue the outdoor lifestyle? So I started bow hunting when I could walk. I think I had the grand slam of stuffed animals with suction cup arrows in the living room by the time I was three. Um, I've always been fascinated by projectiles. I think instinctually all humans are. And I lived right across the street. I was in Detroit, but right across Hazleton, from the Rouge River, which is why the Industrial Revolution always uh, erupted along river courses for you know travel and commerce, and that's where the Ford uh, plant was, just up the road from me. But it was loaded with wildlife, and I was always fascinated. I was probably the only six-year-old who could tell you what a Yule was, <laughs> and I and I was constantly making homemade slingshots. And, and I had a Daisy Red Rider BB gun that I was only allowed to use under my dad's supervision when I was doing sparrow control in the garage. Um, but I was fascinated by projectile management. I think, I think that's the opening volley of a martial arts that is optimized and ultimately experienced with the mystical flight of the arrow. So stop and think, Mark. Uh, here's a city kid right next to Wilderness That my instincts drove me to pursue a wildlife encounter. I mean, I shot quail and pheasant and muskrats and beavers and mallards and uh, squirrels and rabbits and coons and possums and skunks. There was no deer down there then, but I visited my old neighborhood here recently and it's loaded with deer now. It's fascinating. Uh, But then, Mark, hallelujah, the cherubs can come out of the clouds blowing trumpets out of their ass. I got to meet Fred Bear. When I was a little boy and fascinated by wildlife and archery, come on. I think God may love me a little more than he loves you. I don't know, but he he literally <laughs> introduced me. He introduced me to Fred Bear at this little bear archery shack with Nels Grumley as early as 54, 55, 1954. And we'd go into the northern country to try to get close to a deer, which we failed miserably at. Boy, talking about uh, the the Lewis and Clark Northwest Passage adventure of archery for a little kid and big kids because it was a reverse of psychology of what Roy Weatherby was developing, long-range ballistic capabilities, which I'm a big fan of. I'm a dict- I just trained this morning with my 10 millimeter. So I'm fascinated with marksmanship and hand-eye coordination that ultimately delivers a good arrow of spiritual coordination. So my goodness, I was, I was born in the lap of bow hunting. And Mark, people, I'm 75 this year, and I have more piss and vinegar than a whole herd of teenagers because I've been clean and sober all my life, which was guided by the demand of higher level of awareness to get close to a deer with a bow and arrow. So here I am. I I shot my Matthews this morning. I got a new Matthews image. I finally got him convinced to make a lightweight 45-pound bows that, my goodness, between Shemaine and I, if we grab our Matthews, you better sharpen your knife because we really dedicate ourselves to that. And I know that's what the bow hunting podcast is all about. But I, I literally live it uh, to an extreme, uh, dynamic, passionate, borderline obsession um, in between guitars and crushing liberals. Um, it, my whole life,
0: literally is the mystical flight of the arrow. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about how important bow has been throughout your entire life from when you were little and, uh, you know, throughout your career. And uh, um, I wanted to ask you, what do you shoot now? You mentioned you just got a new Matthews, but what's your current setup right now? What you're shooting today? I,
1: I'm a lightweight graceful easy to go Ishi bow hunter um, the Native Americans killed a lot of buffalo with little obsidian broadheads out of God knows how lightweight their bows was because they had to draw it back in that unique fashion not they didn't have an anchor they they drew back and they envisioned like a I imagine like a fielder throwing a ball to home plate in a, a three-point shooter on the basketball court which my my sons are martial artists and those uh activities and archery and marksmanship. But I shoot a lightweight, I hammered <laughs> my friends at Matthews. And by the way, whatever bow you shoot, I love you. There is no competition between different bow manufacturers. I mean, I have my, my early Fred Bear recurves. I shoot those all the time. I've got a, a, every imaginable bow. But something about the Matthews being an instinctive archer all my life I don't like a big hump in a compound. I started out with a Jennings Super T in 77, and there was a lot of hump there That was, that is why Fred Bear hated them, <laughs> because it didn't feel like the gracefulness of archery coming to your anchor at full draw. But I shoot a Matthews image at 46 pounds. I shoot a 400-grain gold-tip arrow. I've been shooting gold-tip forever and again, all the arrows. How about it, Mark? The bows, the arrows, the sights, the releases, the broadheads. This is the mystical, magical, miraculous time for bow hunting. Unless you want to nap your own broadheads and and, and, and cook your reeds over a, a, a flame to get a, 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 an old arrow straight, which I still do. I still love it. like that primitive scream, primal scream. But I shoot a lightweight, and I, I hump this all the time, Mark. I guide hundreds of hunters every year. Yeah, I rock and roll every summer, but starting in September, every weekend, all my hunts are sold out at sunrise safaris. I got mostly, new—well, not mostly, used to be mostly newcomers that would get their 80 pound or 70 pound bow and they'd go through this weightlifting outrage to come to full draw. And I've convinced, I bet it's thousands over the years to get a graceful bow. If you want kinetic energy and, and, and velocity, get yourself a 270. It, it, Shemaine shoots a 30-pound Matthews mark with a two-blade broadhead. Kudu, zebra, giant horns, 800-pound giant scimitar horned oryx. The arrow goes, more often than not, 30 pounds. In and out through the crease, obviously if you don't get a rib coming and going. But I'm a, a huge advocate of graceful archery. And yes, I' you know, I got buddies Cameron Haynes, what he shoot 120 pounds, whatever he thinks hes he thinks he's uh, I don't know who he thinks he is Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's awesome. And I, I Fred Bear's mantra, shoot the heaviest bow you can accurately and stealthily. Because if you're going through gyrations to draw, um, I got so many stories that go,, ah, I shot him in the ass, ah, I shot over him, I hit him in the no man's land over the shoulder. Because you're alerting the animals, you're alerting them as you go through those gyrations. If Shemaine draws her bow back, something's gonna die because she waits for the perfect <laughs> shot. And I wait for the perfect shot. And we practice all the time. So that's my setup, and I encourage people to get a graceful bow. Now, all you strong guys out there shooting 70, 80 pounds, I know guys, and they're they're awesome. But most people nowadays, especially getting older like I am, they go to crossbows, which is awesome. I am 100% supporter, but they don't get that. I don't think they feel the fulfillment of the essence of bow hunting making the full draw in the presence of an animal in range is the highest of highs to me. So, and I shoot various broadheads, mostly 100 grain, 125 stuff. I shoot a lot of the mechanicals. Um, I shoot the sever and I shoot the rage. I mostly a two blade
0: razor sharp knife broadhead. So it penetrates and cuts everything. No, and you've touched on it so well, it's really all about the shot placement and it's, it's, you know, it doesn't matter what you use. Uh, the development of new products over the past two decades, maybe in the past years, has been astounding. You know, you could talk about... Astounding. The
1: these guys, Mark, these guys in the archery and the gun industry, they're mad scientists. <laughs> they're literally, the, the efficiency of the sporting goods today, whether it's optics or ammo or chokes or sights or releases, I don't know. Could you make a release... I don't think I could make a toothbrush if I had to, but the guys that create these releases that will hold back that that bowstring at full draw and with the most sniper gentle two-pound touch, it releases that string perfect every time. Yeah, these are the these are the good old days of horsepower from Detroit. I got I got a I got a Mopar coming with a thousand twenty-five horsepower off the showroom floor. There's no muscle car from the sixties that could touch my fleet of fire breathers. Um and I love horsepower, I love guitars, I love sporting goods, archery, guns, ammo, stuff. I'm 75, it's never been better. And now I no I, I, I admit those early experimental years had a certain panache a certain effervescence of the uncertainty and the experimentation that had a life of its own but you can st- you still need to have that mindset with the state of the art equipment to the -the state-of-the-art tree stand the -the state-of-the-art food plot, the -the state-of-the-art supplemental feed, the -the state-of-the-art habitat management, it's still right place, right time, and how do you perform when you've positioned yourself for the shot? So what I experienced right now in 2023, I killed a bunch of hogs. I'm telling you, it reminded me of a kid on the Rouge River shooting river rats with a homemade longbow shooting, you know, Port Orford cedar arrows from Miller's Feed Store, which I could get a, a Port Orford cedar arrow mark in 1957 uh-huh. from Miller's Feed Store with 140 grain field point and real natural high visibility, the turkey feathers after the season, 10 cents a piece. And I could buy three or four at a time if I if I turned in enough bottles off the road. Uh, so I've lived. I, I did everything, but live with Ishi. I wasn't there with Cochise, but I was there in those developing years. And the, I don't know how old you are, but I don't know if you can relate to some of the stuff I'm I'm saying. I was there when well, Fred and Howard Hill and and uh, Hoyt and and Roy out of uh, Wisconsin that started the first I was there as the, at the rebirth so it was almost like manifest destiny
0: yeah well I'm 54 and I live in Pennsylvania we have a rich uh hunting heritage here just like sure. Michigan does and uh when you started to talk, I remember the very first bow I ever had was a hand-me-down bear for my uncle, and that's yeah. how I got started at like age 18, and I used that thing to literally one day I pulled it, you know, to the old fiberglass, and it just folded in half. My first <laughs> deer I ever killed was so atypical. Uh, we made a deer drive between a canal and a river. Nobody drives for deer, especially with a bow and arrow. And the deer came right through a textbook, and it was the first deer I ever got was a doe, ran into the river. We had to go track it onto an island. It was the most incredible experience. And so much like you, I was hooked for life. It is such an incredible experience. It calls upon
1: everything that God gave us, the miracle of nature, the miracle of our human capabilities. And if you if you learn and you learned in that moment because you had to execute what you would practice you had to put that arrow on that incoming doe in the psychological frenzy of the desire to shoot that deer as a young kid it is it is a a spiritual the physics of spirituality frenzy because you really want to do it but you have to control that excitement or you're going to blow it be target panic buck fever whatever you yep. want to call it. But when it does occur, I can, I've can. i killed a lot of game with my bow, and Mark, I could name every one, where I hit it, what the wind was doing, what the conditions were, where I was standing, how it approached, the tracking. Um, I've been clean and sober my whole life, and that is the driving force that taught me that being clean and sober optimizes your application of God's miraculous gifts that I think is a moral obligation whether it's guitar playing or being a dad or a grandpa or a husband or a dog trainer or a, 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 a media skull crusher. By the way, I'm the only media skull crusher you'll ever have on your show, um, <laughs> which is really a lot of fun. Um, but it, it's, it's ugly, but it has to be done. So I apply myself and it was learned through the incredible challenge of right place, right time and where you put that arrow. If you can put that arrow where you want and somehow, with all the luck in the world, strategize right place, right time, it it imprints you on your soul. You'll never forget those magical moments, and it will inspire you to a higher level of awareness. Some of the smartest people on planet Earth are bow hunters. Because if you're a dumb bow hunter, you're gonna buy chicken. <laughs>
0: You know, you know, you've been talking about uh, your experience of bow hunting over oh, Adam, past fifty plus years, and it made me want to ask you: um, What's the most challenging bow hunt you've ever been on in your career? You've been hunting a long time. Is there something that jumps out to you that it was just um, particularly tough or difficult, and how did it end up? All of them. <laughs> I mean, I I followed my dad through the woods,
1: intent on killing a deer with my bow and arrow. And like I said, I started when I was just a little boy. So, but I remember I had a. Uh, in fact, I still have it from 1955. A U, uh, longbow. I still have it. It's wrapped in uh, electric tape, or, or to come apart. Along with my Grimes and Pyrex aluminum bows, you might want to look into that history. I met the guy um, that invented them, and the guy that killed the first deer in Michigan with an aluminum bow. But this, what a what a history! Unbelievable. I'm so lucky. It when I killed that first doe. Out of a tree that I didn't have a tree stand. There was no such thing as a tree stand. In fact, Mark, it was against the law to hunt out of a tree in Michigan. And I, even then I, I couldn't have put it like I am right now, but I'll put it this way. I want to meet the man who thinks he has the control and authority over me climbing a tree. So if you tell me I can't sit on that bus seat, I'm sitting on the bus seat. Anyhow, call me Rosa Parks with a bow and arrow. So I was in a tree (laughs) (laughs) that that, these regulations who comes up with this stuff a man goes well we're in charge of your tree climbing no you're not no you're not um so i was in a tree and there's no tree stand there's no steps i was like a monkey (laughs) like a monkey with a bow i think there was many times i killed deer where my my arm was around the limb and I'm leaning back. I I can't believe I'm here to talk with you today. I should have I should have died a thousand times, but anyhow, when that arrow hit that deer high, it was a big doe. Um, it was a spine shot, and it was it was a life changing moment because I was so struggling. I I think I was only 19, but that shows you how many years I went without killing nothing because my dad was casual, so he didn't really give me the lessons of yep. Of, of habit uh education wildlife habits um bedding I, nobody knew what bedding was and i didn't know what a, a rubber a scrape was you you couldn't have convinced me that a deer grunted i mean i had i didn't, <laughs> didn't know anything but when i finally put it together i'll tell you it was so emotional and i couldn't wait to tell my dad and my brothers and my mom and all my friends and it it, it imprinted on me but i gotta tell you all right that was that was, 50, that was 60 years ago, almost 50-some years, years ago. I killed a hog here the other day. Same thrill. I, to have that animal position himself for a shot and for me to know what that position is and where to put the arrow and to draw without that wary, wary, crazy alert animal. They're all crazy alert. Um, and down South Texas, not so much, but everywhere else. Uh, and it, it's as much of a thrill for me as, as it was as a, as a young boy. So I'm lucky that I think, and again, I'm going to use the term clean and sober. When you don't poison your gifts from God, they are really touchy. They're really um, uh, 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 tuned in. And so that passion, that excitement, that adrenaline, it's as pure as this in this old man as it was on that little boy uh, in the along the Rouge River. So I, I I thank God every day for that. I still approach my guitar playing. I played some licks on my guitar this morning. It scared me <laughs> so cool. They were so cool. Um, so I'm a passionate, alive, excitable, um, uh, real real
0: uh, uppity sort of individual, and I thank God for that every day. Yeah, no, and thank you for that. And you you've, you brought up the music a couple times. And I wanted to ask you, you recently announced this is actually going to be your last full scale tour this summer after years and years of being on the road, uh, starting all the way back with the, the Amboy Dukes and your and your uh, legendary career. How did you know the time was right now? What, what was that process like? How did you know this uh, has got to be my last one?
1: Well, summertime is when I tour. I've always taken the hunting season off. And there's summertime responsibilities for my grandkids and i i am never gonna say i'm sorry i can't do that i'll be on the road um you know when they're out of school i think grandparenting is a responsibility in this very ugly world we're living in it is really ugly um it's treacherous it's uh evil academia what they what they try to brainwash our children with in schools i want to be there and stop the brainwashing i am there stopping the brainwashing when our government decrees treacherous evil policies I'm going to be there to stop them and make sure that if they're given uh, evil instructions in life in the media big tech on their on their apparatus um, that grandpa will be there to steer them up a true North compass setting I I, I use the term in my major media around the world that I, I my Grandparenting, my grandpa responsibilities are to teach kids to shoot straight, aim small, miss small, be accountable, remain clean and sober, and to turn critters into family size portions. And that may have a cute ring to it, but I mean it. There, Those are accurate descriptions of what a grandpa should be doing. And in the summer when I'm touring, I'm missing out on important quality time with those grandkids. And I decided no more. Along with that decision, is that I look at hotel rooms as jail. I, I hate hotel rooms. I don't want to wake up without my dogs or Mrs. Nugent. And even though I bring my bow on the road, and I in the old days I destroyed more phone books than you can imagine shooting my bow in the hotel room, uh, I, I'd rather cleanse my soul in the great outdoors. We have a beautiful ranch here in Texas and in Michigan, a wonderful swamp. And even this year when I'm touring, I'm going to hub out of my Michigan cabin In the Midwest so I'm home every night and I wake up with the dogs and I shoot my bow and I check my traps and I work at food plots and I I wrench my trucks and I do the things that fulfill me in that that realm and and then when I'm here in the south I hub out of our home in in Texas so I'm accomplishing the elimination of hotel jails um, maximizing my time with family and hounds Uh, but starting next year there won't be any interference in those quality of life responsibilities and desires. so that it was pretty easy. plus I've done I played the national anthem at a border rally uh, for the great heroes of law enforcement and the families that are being invaded, thanks to Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam has swung the door open for an invasion. Oh, heartbreaking. So I played a national anthem down there and it had fire. Those lyrics, and those notes, and that melody out of my guitar, it's a, it, it's a firestorm in these dangerous um, anti-American times. So that represented my 6,770th performance. 6,770. That goes all the way back to the early 50s, playing sock hops and pool parties and girlfriend's basement birthday parties. Um, And and just literally going up to Walt's Malt Shop on Warwick and Grand River and playing my guitar with a drummer. (laughs) That was a gig. Believe me, that qualified as a gig. So I went back and counted. And when I I play, I'm doing a military charity here in a couple of weeks. And that'll be my 6,771st and 72nd. I consider it a rock out. Maybe it's, the national anthem is only, I. I really milk the spirit of it. So it's only a 10 minute performance, but that's a performance and that qualifies in that list of rockouts. So I've done a lot and I'm not done yet. I'm sort of going to keep playing music. I got some killer new songs. We're reissuing and remastering a bunch of my old stuff from demos and outtakes from famous recording sessions. And I've got new songs I'm writing. I'm going to go in the studio and make another record. Uh, but I'm not going to tour tour. I'm still going to do gigs. I do jam sessions, and I get called for corporate gigs all the time with my band, amazing band. So I'll still do gigs, but I I get to go home every night.
0: Yeah, and, and, and you just summed that up so amazingly, talking about how you want to be there for your grandkids and, and the evolution and how you – I loved how you were talking about how you have a hub base, whether it's up in Michigan or uh, at home in Texas, and you can go out and, and you're not trapped in the hotels. Uh, but 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 one thing that, that struck me as you were talking, you, you have been very big in getting – Future hunters involved. You have your camp that you've been doing since I, I believe the late '80s, and you work with uh, um, some of the organizations that are getting terminally ill children and out in the, uh, the outdoors and things like that. But I wanted to ask you how important it is for you to give back as a mentor and get um, young people involved in the sport, whether it's obviously your grandchildren, um, but also others. Is you know, come to a point where you want to you want to get back and you know pay it forward. So I'm assuming that's huge for you. it's it's
1: huge. It's the, it's right up there in the top three or four hugest responsibilities and, and demands of my life. God, family, country, conservation. You know, if the world was still good, and in my world, it is good. I <laughs> mean, my my family, my friends, my hunting buddies, my fellow ranchers, the the law enforcement and military. I get to train with Delta Force and the SEALs and the Rangers and the Green Berets. So if you just hung around with me, you'd go, "Man, that's really a great America. That, that looks like a perfect America." So I carve out perfection. But outside of the inner circle of perfection is sheer treachery. So let's say it was just perfection. I would still want children to experience that higher level of awareness and the fulfillment of stewardship, uh, environmental monitoring and upgrading habitat, air, soil, and water quality. If the world was perfect, I would still do that because it's, it's key. It's key for the future of conservation, environmental responsibility and the joys and the incredible stimuli of the outdoor life. But now in this horrible world where there's organizations that scam people under the lie of animal rights and they just try to end hunting that always ends up burning tax dollars for damage control because we weren't allowed to have conservation quality control. And the children are being brainwashed um, that, hunting is cruel when in fact not hunting is cruel when they overpopulate and disease and habitat destruction. And the, the cleanup afterwards is just a disaster. So I get f- total fulfillment with my Ted Nugent Camp for Kids for 33 years. We have mothers and fathers bringing their children to my camp that were children coming to my camp 30 years ago. It's How awesome. wonderful is that? It's, it's, and people wonder why I'm so cocky because I see that happening because of our efforts. I'm, how my confidence cup runneth over the Michael Moore fan club really hates me, which is quite an accomplishment of perfection, by the way. And the people that do hate me, by the way, you're a member of the Michael Moore fan club. Have a nice day. Um, my point being that, that in this ugly world of anti-nature, anti-freedom, mm-hmm. anti-science, anti-goodwill and decency. I am thoroughly gratified and fulfilled when I turn a newcomer, especially young, to this real high, this real stimuli of the outdoor participation. But the fact that I bring anguish and suffering, pain and hurt into our enemy's camp inspires me maybe a little bit more. Because every time Ted Nugent turns a young person into a, a conservationist, the Michael Moore fan club and Barack Obama and Eric Holder and Hunter Biden, they probably smoke another doobie. Um, because they can't debate me. And I've always said this, I dare anybody to debate me about the perfection of hunting. It's, it's essential. It's, it's, it's the essence of nature. Renewability, sustained yield, habitat carrying capacity, quality air, soil, and water coming from healthy wild ground that we balance every year so the wild ground isn't destroyed. I mean, I, I've just destroyed people who have t- attempted to debate me on that level and all around the world too, over in Europe and Britain and, and wherever they may dare. Um, I, I, I figured this out when they started attacking me for carrying a gun and eating venison, two of the most perfect things a person could do. I mean, literally self-defense is a, not just a right, it's a responsibility and venison, (laughs) find fault with venison. (laughs) So, so I instinctively just began counter cold cocking the people that would attack me for this perfect life of self-defense, keeping bare arms and, hunting, balancing wildlife so that it remains healthy and thriving. And I didn't know how to do that uh, really when I, when it started in when I was 17, 18 years old with the Amboy Dukes. Um, but my instincts uh, brought me to the front lines and uh, I just I, I just destroy them. And me, we're doing a wonderful bow hunting podcast, but Mark, I do major media, every day. And I do it with a certain effervescence, if I do say so myself. Um, And I keep it upbeat and positive. But if you try to play devil's advocate and attack perfection, I will make sure I show you your horns. Um, So so it's a big part of my life. Doing good is the right thing to do. But when you can crush evil in the process, it is even better.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, conservationists, hunters have been so important in the history of this nation uh, from starting the national park system with uh, Theodore Roosevelt to all the wildlife species we've helping back from the brink. And and I think sometimes those types of things actually get overlooked in this conversation because as you said, when you're doing an interview, maybe with the mainstream media, they might come at it from a different perspective and things like that. So uh, you don't ever want that to be lost because there's been a lot of good that's happened in this world because of it. Absolutely, I make sure I drive that
1: home, and I have all the evidence and all the uh, examples and all the facts and statistics to support everything I have. And then they just look like a, a deer in the headlights because they're they got nothing. There, it's all presumption and and brainwashed um, uh, dishonesty and and embraced. Ignorance. They embrace ignorance so that they can feel good and pretend they're saving an animal when actually they're hurting wildlife overall when they interfere with the modern American wildlife management uh, model that has just brought back... I mean, there's more deer, more turkey, more, more there's more bison than over 150 years. There's more elk, I think, than ever. Uh, There's certainly more cougars and more bears and and more turkey, more geese than ever in recorded history. I remember when I was growing up, Mark, I use this as an example all around the world. When I was growing up, Lake Erie would spontaneously combust. I mean, the industrial revolution had so destroyed this wonderful waterway that it would catch fire. And people thought it was cute. Well, it wasn't cute. And the alarm was sounded by trappers, fishermen, duck hunters and people that knew that it was indecent and criminal what was happening to this body of water. Well, the sportsman really raised hell and said the the wild salary is gone. The ducks aren't stopping. There's no beaver. There's no coon. There's no uh, uh, otter. There's no walleye. It's, it's, it's disgusting. So we cleaned it up. And now that same body of water that used to catch fire is the number one walleye and smallmouth bass fishery on planet Earth. Earth. I mean, you can't drink the water, but the stuff that comes from those waters have been cleaned up because of hunters, fishermen, and trappers financing and sounding the alarm. So I use that as an example, and then I uh, I will ask the person playing devil's advocate. And you have paid how much to uh, save a body of water? And the animal rights people have invested what to save habitat somewhere? And I'll give. I won't even let you contemplate that. I'll go ahead and answer it for you. Nothing. They've done nothing. It's all a scam to enrich themselves and to fill their pockets and to live a lie. So I've been able to do that all my life. And I do it in not a mean-spirited, you know, skull-pounding way, even though the effect is the same. Um, I do it with a, a smile and with a, a genuine and sincere hope to enlighten them that if you really want healthy wildlife, you should probably buy a hunting license. Because it costs money for yep. game workers and biology and scientists and habitat res- resurrection and, uh, and, and and improvement. And once I give it, because the education system has just lied and lied and lied, and we're graduating kids that can't talk we're graduating kids that can't write or spell or add or subtract. They don't know they don't know they don't know what the government is. They don't know what an experiment in self-government is. They never heard of Concord Bridge or the Trail of Tears or anything important to fortify you for knowledge, to make sure you don't repeat historical mistakes. So I'm able to bring that home Because I'm a loud mouth. I'm I'm just what the founding fathers wanted all Americans to be, to be a critical thinker, suspicious of authority, and to stand up for truth, logic, and common sense. That's what I do every day.
0: Yeah, and and you know what? That's really what helps uh, in this country when everybody shares their opinion and we have discussion and debate. So I I really appreciate that. You know, something else I wanted to ask you is thinking about as we were talking about your music uh, during the course of this conversation, and you probably get asked this all the time, but. How often do you sit and come up with a song, whether you're in the ground blind or a tree stand? Is that a common thing or is that always going through your mind? Or are you so hyper-focused on getting that deer or getting that hog that that doesn't happen?
1: I am hyper-focused on the place I'm at. So there is no music when I'm hunting. I mean, I, you know, the in the last uh, samurai movie, uh, the great samurai master told uh, Tom um, yeah. Cruise... Um, when he was messing up his swings and maneuvers, he goes, no, no, stop, stop. Too many minds. The best arrow, and whether Randy Almer or Levi Morgan or the Olympic Masters, they'll tell you, it's got to be empty. You, you, it, there is no thought. If you're thinking about it, something will go bad. It must be an instinctual, primal, out-of-body execution without knowing what I just said. You literally can't think about those procedures. Yeah. they just happen have to be Now that's that's quite a journey for mankind. And I am you know I, I should be the worst bow hunter ever mark and I was for a long time because I'm too uppity I'm, and that's where the music comes from. So to answer your question about the music, no music has ever entered my mind when I'm out in the wild. I'm focused on that. But it's that cleansing, the, the the total escape from the music, which really turns me on. It's, it literally drives me nuts. I, I played, a, like, like I said, I've got a bunch of guitars and amps in my arsenal of democracy here. My man cave, Cuckoo's nest. I make Cabela's shamed. I have so many sporting goods in this room. Um, so when I'm in a a predator mode, that's it. But the beautiful thing is, is that I have so completely distanced myself from the musical creative process that I can't wait to re-enter the musical creative process. That's where all my songs start with these killer rhythmical grinding licks, these patterns. And whenever I come in from the outdoors, I pick up the guitar, and and it happens because I'm so cleansed. I'm like a little boy who wants to try the guitar, but after all these years, I don't have to try. I actually can do it. I can execute. And again, it's not a thinking process. I don't go, what key? Where should I put my hand? No, I pick up the guitar, and and licks happen because I am so cleansed You know, Fred Bear used this this term, um, that the outdoors will cleanse the soul. The outdoors does cleanse my soul. It fortifies me to take on the enemies of freedom in America, in the media, and that it also allows me to be just totally instinctual and... Irreverent and, and ferocious and and I, n- there's no too many minds when I play a guitar like it's just a grinding groove extension of what Chuck Berry and Bo did and Little Richard and the Motown Funk Brothers and James Brown instilled in me in the early years. So when I make my music, even though forever I've made music about the outdoors, Loaded for Bear, Great White Buffalo, Migration, Hibernation, uh, Spirit of the Wild, Spirit of the Buffalo, um, Fred Bear, for goodness sakes. Um, uh, uh, winter, Spring, Summer, Fall, this beautiful instrumental on my new Detroit Muscle Record. Um, the song Alaska. These are all deliveries of my outdoor life accumulation but they happen unto themselves musically. I never thought of the licks when I'm in the outdoors, but the outdoors ultimately, when I pick up the guitar, it inspires those licks. And I think the Fred Bear song is the ultimate example of that. Um, it was such a, 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 an out-of-body um, celebration and, and suffering, celebrating my life with Fred and suffering at the loss. Um, and I think the song says it all. And certainly the way people, Mark, I just got to, I could read it to you. A guy's dying in Alabama and his last wish was to talk to me. And I called him. His name is Stephen, And all he wanted to talk about was bow hunting and the song Fred Bear. Um, Little boys and girls, their last for years, their last request in life, a six and seven year old little boys and girls. How the what? How did I qualify for them to th- even think of me at that difficult emotional time? But they do, and they want me to play Fred Bear. Yikes. I'm holding back the tears right now. Uh, it's, uh, you got to be kidding me.
0: You touched me because I didn't think that's what you were going to say, but uh, to be able to have that uh, ability to have such a positive impact on people in their life, Un- no matter whether they're young or old, incredible. It's it's just, it's indescribable. I'm doing a pretty good job
1: of describing it, and you did a pretty good job of describing it, but it's beyond uh, the... I don't know. It's it's beyond. It, but I do it, and I, I don't cry. When they leave, I cry. Um, when I hang up the phone, I cry. But I think they want to get a hold of me because I'm a, I am ai stand up for the things they believe in. The song epitomizes in music what their greatest moments in life represent. Well, that's pretty cocky for me to say that, but it happens to be accurate. So I'm not bragging. I'm actually... Um, honored, and humbled beyond what the English language can allow me to express. But the song has a life of its own, and to be welcomed into people's, a family's life at that emotional moment, uh, I I don't know if there's a higher high. Is there a higher high? I don't know if there's a higher high. This side of giving birth to a child, maybe, or maybe defeating evil on the uh, battlefield, Uh, but it's gotta be pretty damn close huh well
0: thank you so much for sharing that. that 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 is just uh incredible touching and um maybe a bit hard to talk about but thank you you know um do you have any animals you want to hunt you have something on your bucket list ted is there anything you know- i mean you've been running for so long you've had the long-running tv show is there anything left that you really want to go for you know, I was always fascinated by mountain goats and the
1: the bighorn sheep, you know, the dolls and the fanon and the, the Rocky Mountain bighorn, the desert bighorn, and and uh, not to mention the Argolis. <laughs> They've always fascinated because they're just such a mystical, uh, yeah. historical beast of, of wildness. Um, but and I've been invited. I literally have been invited to be flown private <laughs> to uh, Afghanistan, to, to Tajikistan, yeah. and and hunt these things, but I am such a homebody. This may be hard for some people to understand, but these words are accurate. I would rather see what's at my southwest tree stand next to the food plot in the cedar breaks. I'd rather see what happens there so I can be home than get a private flight to the uh, Yukon for a 60-inch moose. And I've killed 60-inch moose. Um, I've never shot the bighorn sheep or the mountain goat, but I've had both of my knees replaced, so I think those days would be a little difficult. Anyhow, but no, my bucket list is to have another 20 opening days. Um, my bucket list is to put a good arrow on something. I mean, I don't care if it's a woodchuck. I mean, if if I can get a good arrow on a on something um, and make that shot, I, I swear to God. I've killed Cape Buffalo, and I've killed elephant, and I've killed lion. I've killed rhinos, and I've killed, uh, I think, I don't know, 38 species of plains game in Africa. Um, I've killed almost all North American stuff except for the sheep and goats. Um, I'd rather stay home. I, I, I have unlimited doe tags at my disposal throughout the fall. And my neighbors who don't shoot enough does, they know who to call, <laughs> really get a kick out of it. And I donate tons of venison to soup kitchens and homeless shelters every night. I'm almost like Mother Teresa with a sharp stick. Um, so I still get a, an absolute thrill because my deer on my property are so spooky. If you can kill a deer on my property, the open ground in Michigan, or my my ranch here in Texas, if you can kill a white-tailed deer with your bow and arrow on my property, you are a dangerous son of a bitch, because these deer walk backwards looking into trees throughout yeah. their lives. Sounds <laughs> like
0: Pennsylvania.
1: And yes. Well, I was raised hunting groundhogs in Freiburg, Pennsylvania. I still have my dad's uh, Remington target master, single shot bolt 22, that he taught us to shoot him in the eye with with uh, 22 shorts. So Freiburg, Pennsylvania, uh, with no electricity, no running water on the original Ginkle farm that, that homesteaded that country, that was a huge guiding force in my appreciation of a faucet a light switch and a thermostat and to, to be taught how to process one of the most delicious critters in the world, a woodchuck. It's a great, great meal. And it's, they're, they're ultra wary. And when you can kill them with a bow and arrow, you're doing some pretty sneaky, stealthy hunting. And those are the lessons that I get a kick out of to this day.
0: Now, if we, I have one last question before you wrap up and, and thank you again so much for joining us. But, uh, um, You know, you've you've made, sold probably 40 million records in your career. You've played around the world millions. Yeah, you've also bow hunted for 50, 60 years. Yeah. You have an opportunity. You can A, make one last hit record, or B, go on one last deer hunt. What are you choosing? Well, the beautiful part about me is
1: that I don't cotton to anybody giving me a choice. I go ahead and make my own choices. I'm gonna continue making records, and I'm gonna continue. By the way, Mark, Everybody had to choose between one of the I've already chosen, I've chosen both. So their the, the inquiry is dismissed out of hand. Um, I still crave the guitar. I love the my, I'm surrounded by the world's greatest musicians. The people who come to my concerts are berserk music lovers. They they're paying attention, they can tell when you practice and you put your heart and soul into every dynamic lick of every one of these incredible songs that I've got. So that is still the highest of highs. But uh, Shemaine and I shot our bows this morning. Once, Once you remove the shackles of life, especially these days, it's ugly, and I get my hand on that grip, Mark, it's perfect. There is no Joe Biden. There is no ATF kicking down innocent American doors. There's it's gone. Literally, it's the little boy in Detroit on the Rouge River, and there's a muskrat. And when that anchor comes to the corner of my mouth,
0: yep.
1: it, it, it's, it's literally out of body. So I need that. I crave that. And again, even if the world was perfect, which is impossible. It's never been perfect, but so when I was growing up, it was damn close. I need that sanctuary. I think I think there's a lot of in, insane, intense bow hunters out there. I mean, I'm I'm insane and I'm intense, but there's guys that may make me look like, you know, a vegetarian. There's some really maniacs out there that are, are technical. But even no matter how technical you get, and it's fun to be technical, whether it's a recurve or it's a modern compound. It's fun to be technical, but once you get ready to release the arrow, technology plays no role anymore. Now it's, what did God give you? Can you apply it? left hand, are you talking to right hand and Mr. Eyeballs and breathing, Mr. Lungs, are you guys working together here? Can you let that breath out halfway? And Whether it's a roll of the fingers with a tab or a glove or it's a trigger finger or it's a thumb or it's a back tension, that moment of truth is unto which there's nothing else like it. And in this modern world, that turns. I, I don't know. I've, you've had the best of the best bow hunting podcast, but that is that not it? I think that's it. it
0: there, there's no doubt, and it always comes back to that. And <laughs> you can have the the latest and greatest equipment, and you can be super intense, but it always comes down to that and that experience, and that's what keeps me going for 40 years you going for 50 years um there's nothing else like it in the world i mean i could choose to go out there and 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 i do on occasion i would firearm but there's nothing else like that because it's basically you and the animal one-on-one playing field and there's so many things that can go wrong before one thing goes right it's just an incredible experience and you know I want to thank you so much for taking time. I know you're busy. We're going to let you go. Good luck with your tour this summer. Uh, good luck with your hunting adventures. And um, we'll see everybody next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. I love talking about the things that turn me on. And God bless everybody who's part of this wonderful family of archers and bow hunters and conservationists. And thank you for allowing me to represent quite a substantial gaggle of that army of mystical flight of the arrow addicts out there, because I'm so blessed beyond words that I communicate with them every day. I mean, I can't go to the sushi bar or the restaurant or the coffee shop or the feed mill or a gas station without somebody coming up to me, no matter where I am and wanting to talk God family country or backstraps or the mystical flight of the arrow or the the new ammo. I mean, I, I literally have left a mark that I'm the guy who has always stood up for that stuff. And I represent the best of the best. And they're constantly coming up to me. Thank you, everybody. You bring such effervescence and pissing and vinegar and and snorting wind beneath the wings of my bird of prey life thank you thank you thank you thank you Mark for having a podcast like this because I love talking about these things that really are an important important driving force in our life so God bless my fellow hunters out there and archers and may your arrows
0: fly true forevermore yeah thank you so much and we'll see everybody next time on the bow hunting podcast Thanks for downloading the Peterson's bow hunting podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.